0: We have all, at some point, gotten a phone call at home or maybe on your cell phone from scammers. I mean, it's unfortunately reality, right? Maybe it's supposedly the Canada Revenue Agency and you have to give them iTunes cards in order to fulfill your obligation to them. Or they tell you the RCMP is coming to your door to arrest you for who knows what. Maybe you've had the latest one happen. I know I have. A phone call that says your social insurance number has been compromised. This one has been really prevalent in the last month or so. Well, now we're hearing that in India, 32 people who allegedly posed as Canadian officials in a call centre phone fraud scheme have been arrested. And yes, they were targeting Canadians. Let's find out more about this now with the help of Amanda Connolly, who's our global news political reporter in Ottawa. Amanda, thanks so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So this seems like it would be significant. So this is quite the crackdown. What do we know about this?
1: It is. So there's quite a lot here that we still don't know. But what we are able to report so far, and this is based on a press release that came out yesterday from the Delhi police, the police over in India, Uh, they're saying that they have arrested 32 people. They're calling them white collar criminals. And that they've also seized about 55 computers, along with dozens of cell phones, internet routers, uh, and what they're calling illegal software that was used in what they've described here as, quote, a swanky international cheating scam call centre targeting Canadian citizens. So we're getting, um, again, a fair amount of information there, but not a lot necessarily about the technicalities that went into this investigation and whether there was Canadian Canadian involvement in that.
0: Right. But that's interesting that the they 32 people who were targeting just Canadians at this one call centre
1: yeah and of course we we know over the last couple of months we've been hearing kind of escalating warnings from police from officials here in canada saying that as you mentioned in, in your intro there this is becoming a problem that a lot of people are encountering it's taking a lot of different forms either through the cra through um cases where these people like this are able to uh allegedly use things like um routing devices so that the phone call appears to come from a real government department you know service canada the cra is one example and things like that so It it can be very confusing for a lot of folks. And we heard from RCMP last year that they've estimated around $15.2 billion is what Canadians have been hit with through these scams uh, so far.
0: That is huge. Uh, And this latest one was involving social insurance numbers. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so that's what we're hearing so far. The the, the police are saying uh, out of Delhi that the, the scheme here was targeting Canadian citizens by claiming that their social insurance numbers had been compromised in some way. Um, they were also drawing comparison to cases, again, where uh, the Canadians were being told that they would face some kind of penalty or prosecution if they didn't hand over, whether it was you know personal information or other kinds of um, things like that, that that could be used uh, allegedly in this scam. And so... Again, we, we don't have a lot of detail yet about what entirely went into this. The Delhi police were saying that there had been kind of input, that this had been raised by Canadian authorities. Um, but we don't know, again, with this particular case, what that involvement or coordination may have been.
0: Right. But is this something, do you feel, Amanda, that RCMP have made more of an effort to crack down on, would you say, this year? It seems like we're hearing more about these kinds of cases.
1: Well, it certainly seems that they've been taking this very seriously for a while now. We know last year that there were about 19 call centres that were cracked down on in India for related various schemes and scams and things like that. Over the last couple of months here in Canada, of course, we've been hearing a lot of concern from Canadians across the country and also from police and, and um, officials who work with the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre that these are escalating, that they're they're becoming more sophisticated, that they're taking on new techniques Um, that could potentially make them more challenging for people to recognize and avoid becoming a victim of. And so certainly we we don't, uh, it it seems unlikely that this would be kind of the the be all end all for solving that problem. But certainly a major step forward here, a big bust. And we'll kind of have to wait and see uh, what Canadian officials say about kind of the significance of this for Canadians.
0: All right, Amanda, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Let's get you an update on what's happening in Hong Kong because things really took a turn there over the weekend. In fact, as night fell in Hong Kong in the last 12 hours or so, police have actually worked to tighten their siege of the Hong Kong Polytechnic University. What's happened there is hundreds of anti government protesters are trapped inside. They tried to escape and some ended up being arrested. Hong Kong's work week started with multiple protests that disrupted traffic and schools remain closed because of safety concerns as well. But protesters did win one legal battle. The high court struck down a mask ban that had been imposed by the government last month. But we wanted to find out more about what has been happening there. Our guest is Gloria Fung, president of the nonprofit group Canada Hong Kong Link, and she has spoken to students at the university as well. Gloria, thank you very much for being here today.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
0: What is the situation right now?
2: Uh, The situation uh, in Hong Kong uh, on university campuses is very dangerous. Uh, What happened is that beginning from early uh, last week, uh, the uh, riot police and also Hong Kong police force have started to uh, block uh, the exits of uh, various university campuses, uh, attacking the students attacking and also arresting students on campuses. Uh, and uh, first of all, it was uh, the Chinese University, which is the Internet Service uh, Centre of Hong Kong. And now, over the last two days, they have uh, started to attack uh, students on campus of the Polytechnic University. And this morning, I managed... Uh, actually, over the last few days, I have been receiving... Telegram messages from different sources. Uh, some of them are Canadians, uh, Canadian students in Hong Kong who have tried to outreach to the Consulate General of Canada in Hong Kong for help. But unfortunately, uh, the, the staff who picked up the phone call did not really, uh, was not very helpful. They, uh, they were only uh, being advised not to protest and stay in a safe place but they did not outreach to save them from the campus and uh, uh, there has not been a uh, very how uh, uh, you know a lot of help being uh, given to canadians being trapped on various campuses
0: so you're saying there are canadians who are kind of caught in this
2: yes uh for instance this morning i managed to talk to a hong kong student uh, that uh, is currently being trapped on campus of the Polytechnic University. And through her, I managed to get in touch with two Canadians uh, being trapped there. They are students at the Polytechnic University. They were born in Hong Kong, but their parents are Canadian citizens. And uh, they told me, uh, they gave me their names, and uh, they told me that they are very, very afraid because... Uh, all the exits were blocked by uh, the, the, the police, uh, the Hong Kong police. And every time when they tried to get out, uh, they were attacked by tear gas canisters, uh, uh, bullets, and then, uh, I mean, guns, and then the, also water cannons. And all these could cause fatal injuries. And uh, they said that uh, they are very afraid because uh, it's very obvious that the police did not allow them to exit, even though that is what they announced uh, to the public and media, that uh, they would allow the students to get out. But that is not the case.
0: Right. Does that matter then even to Hong Kong police at this point, that there are citizens of other countries that are trapped inside there?
2: Well, uh, probably it doesn't really matter for the Hong Kong police, but it does matter to us uh, because, uh, our Canadian government is obligated to, uh, ensure the security of Canadians in Hong Kong. And, uh, they should be entitled to consular protection right, uh, while they are under such critical threat, uh, from the Hong Kong police. And actually this morning I have outreach to, uh, different members of the parliament asking for help. I've also called the Global Affairs Canada, uh, um, providing them with status of Canadians being trapped on campus and also being uh, subject to a very dangerous situation there, and uh, they thank me for outreaching to them, seeing that this is the very first time uh, that someone had direct contact right. with Canadians on campus but actually, uh, over the past few months i I think uh, there have been Canadians being arrested. Uh, in various demonstrations. Uh, and I I, I think it's, it's very important for Canada as well as the international community to uh, stand forward to condemn uh, the police brutality and mm-hmm. also excessive ammunition being um, deployed in attacking the students on campuses. Right. This is a humanitarian crisis now. And uh, I think Canada needs to speak up uh, to pre- to condemn it and then also to prevent uh, uh, the brutality from continuing. Hey, Gloria, has it gotten
0: worse, would you say, in recent days? And has any country at this point spoken up?
2: Well, the UK has already spoken up and so has US. And actually, the Human Rights and Democracy Act is being processed in US. And if there's no objection as a result of the hotline being put forward by the uh, senator, then uh, probably it's likely to be automatically passed today. And uh, I, I actually, when I spoke to the Global Affairs Canada, I have urged them to, first of all, come up to work with the international community, to come up with a strong uh, statement condemning uh, the police brutality and uh, and also about the humanitarian crisis happening there. And then also, they should also follow up uh, uh, by sanctioning key officials of uh, Hong Kong government right. responsible for the violation of human rights there.
0: All right, so then what's going to happen, do you think, in the days ahead?
2: Well, uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs is going to have a meeting with the Consulate General of Canada in Hong Kong uh, this evening, But uh, personally, I'm afraid it may be too late because every minute the situation is getting worse, uh, the situation is deteriorating at a very, very rapid uh, uh, speed. Uh, I just hope that our government could be more proactive and uh, and speedy in taking action. Uh, even though I understand the the new government won't be sworn in until this Wednesday, but this is emergency situation right. and our government need to take immediate action.
0: Gloria, thank you very much for your time on this. Thank you very much. It's not every day you see something like what viewers and followers of the royal family saw on the weekend. They're generally a pretty tight-lipped Bunch, right? They don't speak out unless they feel like they really, really have to. So I guess Prince Andrew, the Duke of York felt like he really, really had to because his uh, friendship with Jeffrey Epstein over the years has come under a lot of scrutiny recently, of course, with everything that had happened. And so he arranged to do this one-on-one interview with BBC Newsnight's Emily Mellis. And That was the first time that he had really spoken out loud about his relationship with the convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein and all of the allegations which have been made against him over his own conduct. And let me tell you, this did not go well for Prince Andrew. In case you missed it, this was not a good idea. And you'll get some of the indication why as we play some of it for you. Uh, For instance, have a listen.
3: Am I right in thinking, you threw a a birthday party um, for Epstein's girlfriend, Ghislaine Maxwell, at Sandringham.
4: No, it was a shooting weekend.
3: A shooting weekend. Just a
4: straightforward straightforward shooting weekend.
3: But during these times that he was a guest at Windsor Castle at Sandringham, uh, the shooting weekend, we now know that he was and had been procuring young girls for sex trafficking
4: we now know that at the time there was no indication to me or anybody else that that was what he was doing and certainly when i saw him either in the united states well no when i saw him in the united states or when i was staying in his houses in the united states there was no indication absolutely no indication and if there was you have to remember that at the time, um, I was patron of the NSPCC's full stop campaign, so I was close up with what was going on in those um, uh, time about getting rid of abuse to, to children. So I knew what was what the what the things were to look for, but I never saw them.
0: He says he never saw anything, and yet the rumours of this guy have been around for like fifteen, twenty years. So how is that possible? Now, Prince Andrew categorically denied having any kind of sexual contact with a woman named Virginia Dufresne. At that time, she was called Virginia Roberts. She says that she was forced to have sex with him when she was 17 years old. So answering questions about his links to convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein in this interview, Prince Andrew said those alleged incidents, quote, never happened. Meanwhile, Virginia Dufresne claims that she was forced to have sex with the prince three times. He says he was at home with his children on one of those occasions.
3: Do you remember dancing at Tramp?
4: No. That couldn't have happened because the date that is being suggested, I was at home with the children.
3: You know that you were at home with the children? Mm. Was it a memorable night?
4: On that particular day that, that, that um, uh, we now understand is the date, which is the 10th of March. Uh, I was at home, uh, I was with the children. I'd taken Beatrice to uh, a pizza express in Woking for a party at, a, I suppose, sort of four or five in the afternoon, um, and then because the Duchess was away, we have a simple rule in the, in the, in the family that, 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 that when one's away, the other one's there. I was on terminal leave at the time, um, from the the Royal Navy, so therefore, I was at home.
3: Why would you remember that so specifically? Why would you remember a a Pizza Express birthday and being at home?
4: Because going to Pizza Express in Woking is an unusual thing for me to do. A very unusual thing for me to do. I've never been, I've only been through Woking a couple of times, um, and I remember it weirdly distinctly. as soon as somebody reminded me of it, I went, oh yes, I remember that. But I have no recollection of ever meeting or or being in the company or the presence.
3: So you're absolutely sure that you're at home on the 10th of March? Yeah.
0: Of 2001. That's how long ago. And yet he can very specifically remember that he went to the Pizza Express in Woking during that time. And yet when he was also asked if he'd recently been in contact with Jeffrey Epstein's uh, former best friend and girlfriend, Ghislaine Maxwell, He couldn't remember if he had talked to her in the last couple of months, so he did not recall. But, ask him about a pizza party back in 2001 and he knew all the details. He was then pressed about the allegations, more about the allegations, actually, uh, talking about uh, Virginia Dufresne's detailed recollections of that evening.
3: She was very specific about that night. Mm. She described dancing with you and you profusely sweating (laughs) and that she went on to have Bath, there's, a, there's, possibly a, there's a
4: slight problem with, 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 with the sweating um, because uh, I, I have a peculiar medical condition which is that I don't sweat um, or I didn't sweat at the time and that was, oh actually, yes, I didn't sweat at the time because I um, ha- had suffered what I would describe as an overdose of adrenaline in the Falklands War when I was shot at. Uh, and I simply, it, it was, it was, it was almost impossible for me to, to, to sweat. And it's only because I have done a number of things in the recent past that I'm starting to be able to do that again. So I'm afraid to say that, 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 that there's a medical condition that says that I didn't do it. So therefore.
0: Oh boy. Okay. So here's the other problem with that. So since this interview has aired, there have been numerous pictures posted online and in British tabloids showing the prince. A, partying it up when he said he's not a party prince, uh, posing with women when he said he doesn't do that, and yes, C, sweating profusely, Uh, we're talking like 15 years ago, even though he said he only got over this condition in the recent past. Yeah, even uh, a local doctor speaking on Good Morning Britain, Dr. Hilary Jones, who's a British general practitioner, their regular kind of medical person, did not buy these claims, stating that this explanation left him skeptical at best.
4: Well, it's an extraordinary claim because there's only three things really that can cause this condition called anhydrosis or hypohidrosis. Firstly, it's conge- it can be congenital, which it clearly isn't in this case. Secondly, it can be a prelude to something like heat stroke, where you're so uh, empty of body fluid you can't sweat. Clearly, it isn't the case here. And there's a third explanation, which is um, that, that s- simply um, he had an injury or some kind of serious condition which would affect his whole body, mm. and again, which clearly isn't the case. And as for the adrenaline thing in the f- in the Falklands, it doesn't make sense because sweating isn't mediated by adrenaline; it's mediated by acetylcholine. So, so and this sounds like you're rather sceptical. Th- absolutely sceptical about. But this it is. A, but not
3: thing. being able to sweat is a medical condition.
4: It's very, very rare indeed. I've never seen a case.
0: Okay, so much to break down with this. We wanted to talk more about the impact of this uh, interview now with Patricia Treble, who's a royal watcher. It's from Maclean's, and she's been following along for oh, decades now. Patricia, thanks for being back with
5: us. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is quite the story, isn't
0: it? It really is. So give us your impressions. Like, do you think this did damage to the royal family?
5: I don't know if it did damage the royal family itself, because, I mean, this is a saga that's been going on with Prince Andrew for so long. I mean, he is eighth in the line to the throne and dropping. I think it has been probably terminally damaging to him. Um, so I described it as a train wreck into a dumpster fire toppling into a garbage scow. Um, You know, I watched it live and my jaw was dropping the whole way through it. Um <laughs> The thing that got to me was, you know, his excuses aside, and I think the, now the question is going to be, you know, he's going to have to open up his diary. You know, where were you at that date? You know, I mean, because if he, if, if he does remember that pizza night, which I'm going to say probably for him would have been memorable, um, there'll be a record of it. There'll be security logs because he's under police guard, right? There'll be something right. there that can nail it down. Um, you know, one of the things they said is, you know, he was buying... You know Virginia um, Roberts claims he was buying her drinks at this at this nightclub. He is he is and and as he said in the interview and we know he's a teetotaler he doesn't drink he's never drunk, and so he says he never buys drinks. Well, that's easy enough to disprove, you know. Yeah. Um, and he says and I've seen him in moral engagements. You know where he he always stands beside somebody. You know I mean unless he actually like really knows the person he he never like he's not the warm, huggy sort of new generation royal. Like, that's not him at all. Um, so, I mean, whereas put him in, you know, with his family and stuff like that, yeah, sure, he's, you know, he's the huggy sort of guy, um, you know, when it's, his, when it's his friends and stuff like that. But put him around somebody he doesn't know. He, I've never seen him do it. But that doesn't mean anything, right? Because, you know, you can find lots of instances Oh, there's tons of
0: pictures with tabloids even today showing him with arms around people hugging people.
5: Yeah, Yeah, but we don't know who they are, right? Like, you know, if you first met somebody, would you, like, I wouldn't go right right up to a stranger and start hugging them. I would hug friends. I would hug people I know. Um, So that's, you know, without the the granular detail, um, you know, we don't know. But that's the sort of thing we can check out really easily and narrow it all down. I mean, for me, the thing that came out in that interview that was just the overwhelming thing in that interview was he expressed no guilt about knowing a man who was abusing young girls, underage girls, no regret for staying in his homes, um, you know, even after his depravity had been, you know, legally adjudicated in courts, after he was a convicted sex offender. Um he there was no shame for using his relationship to further his own career. There was absolutely no sympathy for the victims. Like he was offered it was, it was a clinical dissection of him, and there was just simply no sympathy for the victims. And that, to me, the oblivious, obliviousness to their pain and suffering. So true.
0: Um, also, how could was, he not have been coached on that? That was the thing I didn't understand. Is like, if you're going to do this, uh, one, he looked very uncomfortable because he was squirming around a lot and stuff, and I'm just yeah. so surprised that they, he wouldn't have been coached to... that. The first thing he should say is express sympathy for the victims.
5: Yeah. I mean, I mean there is... What can we say about Andrew? He's a smart man. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, I mean, he is a, he is a smart man. But he is entitled. He is arrogant. This is his reputation. He is self-centered. Um, and that came true. That, I mean, that shone through, uh, if nothing else. Because it was all about him, 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 him. And it's like, I... Oh, I mean, I just, I said shudders down my spine. And I thought, if there are palace officials who didn't know this was going on, and I'm sure a lot of people didn't know that this had been approved, they would have been just like, you know, smashing their heads against
0: Uh, the desk. It sure sounds
5: like it. Because they know that the effect, I mean, right now, today, the Daily Mail, which is one of the main tabloids in London, the first 11 pages of this paper were Prince Andrew. Yep, uh, Um, I saw that. this is, yeah, exactly. We could all see that coming a mile away. And I think he kind of thought, I think he was back in the corner. He had nowhere to go because he's issued print denials before. yeah But what has come out today is that, so he has one huge charity that he has founded that is an amazing success, and it's called Pitch of the Palace. And so it's entrepreneurs go, you go to royal palaces, and you can pitch your invention, your company, right. that sort of thing, because you need to grow. It's like, you know, it's like Shark Tank. You can pitch it to all these people and it's like in 64 countries. It was here in Canada on um, the first launch of the Canadian version and KPMG has backed out as, as a main sponsor uh, and they I, backed out because of this scandal that will not die. And it, I think he felt this might draw a line under it. You know, maybe yeah. if he gets out and he answers every question and he answered every question. He answered a lot Just, of them. Well, was, not well, though, Patricia. That was him. the problem,
0: right? He didn't answer no, yes. it well. But listen, we have to go. But thank you so much for joining us on this today. This is not going away, I'm afraid. I know. I'm sure we'll be talking to you again. Thanks for your time. <laughs> you know, we're making progress in the fight against cancer. And yet, even as we do that in some areas we're continuing to see trends in cancer cases in others. For instance, this new study has found that the rate of cancers related to obesity is rising among young Canadians. So this new study looked at more than 5 million, yes, million cancer cases in Canada from 1971 all the way up to 2015. So what else did they learn? Well, let's find out now with the help of Dr. Christine Friedenreich, who's the cancer epidemiologist with the Department of of Cancer Epidemiology and Prevention, research of Alberta Health Services and one of the co-authors of this paper. Dr. Friedenreich, thank you very much for joining us.
6: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So this is very extensive. So tell me some of the highlights of what you learned.
6: Well, as you said, we had access to data for all Canada from 1971 to 2015. And so during that time period, there were over 5 million cancer cases that were diagnosed. And what we have done in the past with the Canadian Cancer Society is to look at overall cancer incidence trends for all cancers combined. And in this study, we were actually able to break it down into 10-year age groups from age 22 plus over age 80, and we were able to look at 16 different uh, cancer sites, which were the major uh, types of cancer. And we looked at all of these trends by age uh, cohorts and also by birth cohorts. Okay, so what did you find? So what we found, which was a new, is that um, there is a, an increasing incidence in cancer amongst um, uh, males and females under the age of 50 for things like colorectal cancer, um, which was quite startling, and also we see this increase in breast cancer in young women as well. Now, why do you say quite startling? Well, what was quite startling is that, um, the rates were actually going up very dramatically. And so, uh, w- which we haven't seen before in these young age groups. And there were quite like linear increases in these inc- incidence rates. And what's startling is that we have, for a lot of cancer sites, we've actually been seeing stable or somewhat decreasing rates, but to suddenly see an upswing in, for breast and colorectal cancers, which are some of the major cancer sites, that is a concern to see that, especially amongst the 20 to 29-year age group, um, to see those increases is not what we have seen in the past.
0: Right. It, it, do you think it's part of it because screening is better or do you think these are newer cases of cancer?
6: So, of course, it depends on which cancer sites you're looking at. Um, We are, for some of these cancer sites, we do expect that it's actually uh, an increase in the actual overall rate of the cancers, and there we're we're thinking about not just breast and colorectal cancer, but also pancreatic, endometrial, and kidney cancers, and those ones we feel are possibly associated with excess body weight being also more prevalent in our populations at younger ages because we know that obesity is a risk factor for those cancers. So that's why we're thinking that for those cancers, we're seeing those increasing rates. For um, things like colorectal cancer, what's actually been interesting is that we also have been seeing a decrease in the rates in uh, people over age 50, and we think that that's thanks to some of the cancer screening that we're doing uh, for colorectal cancer, which is actually catching those cancers and um, decreasing the incidence of them at those older age groups. Right.
0: That's so interesting what you said there, though, that we know that obesity is a risk factor for cancer, but I'm not sure everybody knows that. They know that obesity, you know, you have a potentially higher risk of diabetes or high blood pressure, but also cancer.
6: Yes, it's very, very interesting that, that there's a lack of awareness of that. Yeah. We also know that physical inactivity is a risk factor for cancer and obesity and physical inactivity go hand in hand. And so we've actually shown in other research that we've done, that was pu- uh, published earlier this year, that uh, excess body weight is projected to become the most important risk factor um, after tobacco uh, by in the next 30 years, because we projected the incidence rates up to 2042. And uh, we we see that excess body weight actually uh, becomes very, very important.
0: Do we know why that is? What is it about the excess body weight?
6: Well, so um, for a lot of these cancers, they're hormonally driven cancers, and we know that um, if somebody is overweight, it increases um, a number of other factors that are associated with cancer, like insulin resistance, inflammation, some of the... Um, you know, sex hormones like estrogens that are associated with breast cancer, if somebody is overweight, the the, all of those other biomarkers also go up. And that also helps increase the the risk. So obesity on its own has an effect, but it also has an effect through these other um, uh, pathways as well.
0: Okay, and when you say obesity, how much past your ideal weight, like what percentage of body fat are we talking about?
6: Um, so we're usually looking at body mass index uh, is, is the measure for sort of overall excess weight. And so the, the, for that index, that's a, your weight uh, in kilograms divided by your height in meters squared. And so uh, a normal healthy weight would be between 18.5 and 25 or 24.99. And 25 to 30 would be considered overweight. And above 30 would be considered uh, obese. And then above 40 would be considered morbidly obese. And so, what we've been seeing over time is that there's a trend of more and more people who are no longer in the normal weight sort of BMI category, but they're, they're in the overweight and obese category. And that's uh, happening at an earlier and earlier age.
0: And is that something that has developed over what, like 20, 30, 40 years? When has that happened?
6: Yes, so we've, we've definitely been seeing that um, increase over the last, uh, well, actually going back to the mid-1980s, we can see a steady increase in the prevalence of obesity, um, and it's it's just continuing to rise, and so what we really are hoping is that these kinds of research studies will help identify some of these trends that are alarming, and that, that will then lead to more research to try to understand what's underlying those trends and whether, you know, if obesity is the, the, the main risk factor that we can actually start targeting some primary prevention. Programs to try to curb the the problems of obesity in the population.
0: right do you think we need more work needs to be done though to raise awareness? Because as we were saying, not a lot of people know about that risk factor.
6: Yeah, so we've been working very closely with the Canadian Cancer Society um, on this study as well as um, the previous one that I, I just mentioned, and we have uh, launched a lot of. Um, sort of media campaigns and also trying to raise awareness through all sorts of um, educational programs because, as you said, it's, it's something that people don't have an awareness of and it is important to recognize that not only do we have to be worried about, as you mentioned, cardiovascular disease and diabetes for, with um, excess body weight, but we also need to be concerned about it for cancer.
0: When you mentioned the breast cancer rates as well, has pre-screening done a lot to combat like more awareness
6: about that? Um, yes, I think uh, that definitely has helped uh, with uh, breast cancer, but we've also seen uh, interestingly enough um one thing that has helped to decrease some of the breast cancer rates in older ages is, is the that women are no longer using um, menopausal hormones because there was a study that was released in the early to mid-1990s, uh, the Women's Health Initiative, which actually showed the harmful effect of menopausal hormones, and so that led to a, pr- a very quick decrease in the use of those hormones uh, for menopause, and as a result, we've seen a decline in breast cancer rates in older ages, um, but we still see some of the increase in the younger age groups. So that's what's been interesting about this study, is that we can actually start looking at it by 10-year t- age periods and see you know, how different primary and secondary prevention um, efforts have helped reduce the rates in those different age groups or affect the rates in those age groups.
0: Oh, so interesting. Thank you so much for your time on
6: this. You're very welcome, and thank you for your interest in this study.
0: You know, I had some relatives visiting from Edmonton over the weekend and boy, you know, here we were dealing with the rain, the atmospheric rivers, it's called. We were probably pretty miserable about it, but let me tell you, they were not. They thought this was pretty impressive uh, for a winter because of course they've been dealing with some sub-zero temperatures over there. They've already had 15 centimeters of snow at this time of year. It's been crazy for them. So they thought this was great gave me a new appreciation for the weather that we have been experiencing here, especially in light of the fact that now the forecast for the upcoming season has come out. And if you live pretty much anywhere other than the West Coast, you are in for a long, hard, cold winter. Us? Not so much. So we thought we would, you know, take a moment here to learn more about what's expected in BC. So joining us now is Anthony Fornell, Global News Chief Meteorologist. Hi, Anthony.
7: Hello, thanks for having me on.
0: Well, we love to talk about the weather. You know, we always say real estate and weather, two things that we can't get enough of out here. So (laughs) especially in light of this forecast, right? So this is a cross Canada forecast, is it not?
7: Uh, that that one uh, I believe you're referencing is is from the Weather Network. Now we sometimes disagree in this case. A lot of the different forecast agencies are all coming up with the same general picture and that is for much of Canada to be quite chilly especially around the Great Lakes and the exceptions being maybe the immediate east coast from Halifax to Newfoundland and the immediate west coast, Vancouver Island and then parts of mainland BC above normal temperatures. So uh, you 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 guys are in a sweet spot if you like it mild, but uh, the rest of the country, not nearly as lucky.
0: So this little kind of area right here is going to be getting, what, above average temperatures for the season ahead?
7: Yeah, and this is going to take a while to to work itself out, and I think the best uh, chance of seeing a rather stormy pattern will be late November through much of December. That's going to be a cool, snowy in the mountains, rainy on the coast type of month. And then once this locks in, which I think will happen if not around Christmas, maybe after, we're going to see this big ridge that uh, has been a common occurrence in past winters lately. Uh, this ridge extending all the way up into Alaska through uh, B.C. and then that jet stream cuts down to the south and that transports all the arctic air with it so uh, once that ridge sets up i think uh, we're going to really dry out on the west coast
0: okay so mild for us but tell me about the rest of canada what can they expect
7: yeah, well, one of the things we, we look at, and that's one of the reasons why we think it's going to be warm right on the West Coast, is this big blob of warm water that's been a, a mainstay. It's been three of the last six winters that it's been featured out there, and uh, when you have warm water temperatures off the coast, it, it impacts the immediate coastal areas, but it also tends to redirect the jet stream, and in this case, it redirects it way up to the north, and then I mentioned it coming back to the south. So a lot of, of cold and something that doesn't often come with cold is is heavy snow amounts and a, and a big active storm tracks are uh, going to be coming for parts of southern ontario quebec and and into the maritimes and that should lead to above normal snowfall there as well
0: ooh above normal what does that mean that sounds like a lot
7: well, <laughs> in in a place like Toronto, they only get about a hundred hundred and five centimeters of snow every winter. They're already at about twenty, so they're one fifth of the way there, and Ooh. and winter hasn't even officially started. So that's just what we're dealing with, and and I think we're going to see some some big time winter storms that uh, the good old Canadian winters used to have, as many people say <laughs> they haven't seen since uh, the seventies. So that's that's what's on the table this year.
0: Okay, so that is though the way you describe it sounds like it's a bit unusual.
7: Uh, it, it is unusual, and something that we have looked for and have seen a lot lately, and the, the debate is whether it's due to man-made climate change or maybe something else, the cycle that we're in, is that these patterns tend to turn extreme but also hold on longer, and a lot of that has to do with blocking up over the North Pole, and and that brings cold air further south than normal. It allows the warm to come up. So a lot of this happens naturally in weather patterns, but because of perhaps climate change it's locking in for a longer period of time and that can lead to some some wacky weather like well for much of canada
0: so is this going to be do you think like a one-off for this winter back to more normal patterns next year or is this like a new normal
7: well, I, I, I'm, I'm reluctant to say a new normal because every couple of years, and, and in fact, winters have been seesawing across the yeah. country. There's, there's no real normal. Every year is a bit different. So yeah, I, I wouldn't consider this a lock-in, but that warm water off, off the West Coast in the Pacific, that's something that, uh, we've been watching closely. It's not an El Nino or a La Nina. It's something different and it's something that, uh, computer models are getting pretty good at uh, predicting and we're just wondering how how long it's going to stick around
0: yeah because usually that is like an el nino year or something that we would see weather like this but it sounds like we're not even going to see any snow here
7: yeah officially we're, we're in a very weak el nino right now it's not enough to to really control the entire jet stream around the around the planet but uh as far as no snow i I think that that's that's not going to happen i do see as i mentioned a rather snowy wet december and then even once this winter pattern sets up it does break down from time to time so if you're a skier out there and, and wondering do i buy a pass do i do i get excited about this year i think there will still be plenty of snow up up in the mountains in the west
0: okay well that's good that's what we like to hear about all right anthony thank you so much for your time
7: all right thanks for having me on
0: Time now for us to do a little travel best bets on this Monday, of course, that means that we are going to talk about some travel related issues and some serious stuff too, because it has happened to many people, you go on vacation, you plan, you do this, and then something, I don't know, political happens where you are, and it turns out you're in a bit of trouble at that point. How do you get home? What should you do? Well, Claire Newell is with us now to talk more about this. Plus, she brought us some great deals. Hi, Claire.
8: Hey there, Simi. Yeah, this is a tough, uh, a tough situation that some unsuspecting Canadians sometimes find themselves in and because it can break out at any time.
0: Right. Is this like so, what's
8: happening in Hong Kong right now as well? Yeah, like in Hong Kong when, um, there were protests that actually did disruption at the airport. And there was recently one in Barcelona's airport that you know cancelled a, a number of flights as well, so it's not like it doesn't happen, but I think what I wanted to address because I've had so many people email me, what if like what if it actually happens to me? What am I entitled to? so I wanted to touch base on two things. the first is talk about the airlines because when there are protests yeah they people may not realize that almost every airline is not obligated to um get you on the next flight right it's um it's because it's like an act of god like terrorist activities um embargoes wars all of that type of thing thing it's what they call beyond the airline's control. But uh, obviously it's going to look really bad if they don't. And most airlines will typically work to reaccommodate all of the passengers. So um, you don't need to really worry about that. What you do have to worry about though is if they can't get you out on a flight for a couple of days because the added expenses like hotel rooms, meals, that type of thing, yeah. those are not going to be covered. Um, and then a lot of people say, well, what if I've got insurance? And that's the other point here is that again, most Travel insurance policies won't cover you if there's a protest they like won't. an airline but or isn't an airport. But is that pro- like some no. kind of
0: disruption? Like, doesn't that
8: qualify? Well, no, it 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 doesn't typically. Um, so what happens on this is it, it? In some cases, it might. In some, it won't. But they a lot of them will cover you for an unforeseen event. But if there has been unrest somewhere and you're going into that situation they may not protect you, which is why the Canadian government has elevated the warning going in to Hong Kong right now.
0: Right. And in Spain as well, I, I understand.
8: Yes. Right. Um, there are some types of coverage though. We call them in the industry CFAR policies. Um, we happen to sell a type of insurance that you can get. That We happen to sell Manulife. Lots of people sell Pacific Blue Cross or whoever right. it may be. But um, you should ask about these policies. They're called CFAR standing for cancel for any reason. And they they're not like a shoe-in, but they will give you a lot more certainty. Again, it's one of those situations where you really have to read the fine print of your own policy, but just know that you may incur some added expenses that you're gonna have to take on. Right. That's also and do some research, right, on where it is that you're going,
0: see if there has been any kind of disruption or anything like that.
8: Exactly. And that's the thing. I think a lot of people Uh, don't they go into a situation then find out afterward? Oh, there were, there were political, um, you know, there was unrest in this area well before I arrived. And oh, geez, I should have read that warning on travel.gc.ca, which we talk about a million times, but you know, it's important to do. Um, I also wanted to talk about another thing, Simi, which is, um, seat selection. Now, you and I have talked recently and, but I don't think you know. Not everybody listens um, at the same time. <laughs> but I right. want to talk about this because I am. Uh, I've seemed to in the recent, probably the last couple of weeks, had a lot of people say to me when I got to the airport, I didn't want to pay for seat selection. So when I get there, I end up getting a middle seat at the back. And I can tell you now that unless you do seat selection ahead of time, almost all of the windows and aisles, you'll have to pay for anyway. The airlines are giving you a middle seat at the back typically. And I can tell you if you're sitting beside the bathroom um, in a non-reclining middle seat, you're going to be cursing yourself for being cheap and not paying that seat selection um, ahead of time. And I know no one likes to pay this. I don't, but... I'm telling you that you won't end up happy, especially if you're traveling with family or someone you really want to sit beside. If you wait till till they give you the seat at the time of check-in, it, yeah. won't, it won't be a good one. I'm all about advanced seat selection. I am too. I am very specific on Me too. what I like, but... On a short flight, for sure, I want an aisle as close to the front as possible. I want off first, and I want access to the bathroom. (laughs) Okay, your list is a little (laughs) bit longer than mine, but okay. Uh, We should get to some (laughs) deals here, Claire. Yeah, there's a really good one. Uh, Well, all three are really good, but the first one is really good if you're um, traveling with your family and you're looking for uh, a hot, sunny getaway. Los Cabos, Mexico, is already on sale for three dates in March. It's only November. So March 2nd, 5th, or 9th, there's a package that includes air and Seven nights in a four-star beachfront all-inclusive resort. So, if it's just adults going, they each pay what I think is a great deal at six thirty-nine, taxes of five twenty. It works out to eleven fifty-nine. But if you've, you you want to take kids and they're two through twelve, they're zero dollars. What? They only pay the tax, which is. Four ninety, so a really, really good buy. If you have kids that are thirteen to seventeen, um, they have a rate for that as well. I just don't have it in front of me, but um, you know, for a family trip. In March, it's a really good buy. The next one I've got for you, and you like Hawaii, it's a tough place to get a deal to. I'm just, I'm telling you, I've been looking, uh, but there is a deal to Honolulu on one date in January the 29th. There are a couple of other dates around it, but a little bit more, but air and seven nights staying at the Sheraton Princess Hotel. It's a nice property in a great location, $7.99. Taxes of two sixty four, so it works out to one thousand sixty three per person based on two sharing. That's amazing. And then, okay, yeah, isn't that a great buy to Hawaii? And there are dates around there that the air only is more expensive than that package, Oof. so it really is a good buy. And then the last one I've got for you is a real bucket list trip. It is to Australia. You get a good overview of Australia but you spend some good quality time visiting the Great Barrier Reef. And this is leaving January 12th. So when it's winter here, it is summer down under. So it is a peak date. You get an ocean view cabin. It's your airfare 11-night cruise. It is sailing round trip from Sydney. Uh, you get your airport transfers, and you'll see Sydney, Newcastle, Airlie Beach, Cairns, Port Douglas, Willis Island, and um, Brisbane. So it's twenty nine ninety nine, taxes of six ninety eight, so thirty six ninety seven. Again, I know it's expensive, but it's a bucket list, and all of your accommodation, meals, entertainment, and airfare is included in that. All right, what a deal! Thank you so much, Claire. Thanks, Simmy.